You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. everyone and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities and solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. And now, a word from our sponsor, SixSense. SixSense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks, and optimizing operational efficiency. With SixSense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose SixSense, visit SixSense.com. So the team that I run is focused typically on vulnerability research. That's Steve Pavolny. He's head of advanced threat research at McAfee. Today, we're discussing a pair of research projects they recently published involving popular IoT devices. So it's an offensive-minded team, and these techniques or attack scenarios do fall into that category as well. However, they're a little bit different in that they don't represent classical software-based vulnerabilities, like something that you can fix in code. But they do fall into the area of one of the categories of research we often do, which is consumer devices, smart home devices, uh, IoT in general. Both of these devices fall into that category as a whole. ACR in general does research in almost every area for offensive security research, from automotive to industrial control systems, enterprise software, and, and IoT is just one other category that, uh, that is in the domain of what we research. Well, let's go through them one at a time. These, these are both uh, interesting uh, videos that you all have posted on YouTube. The first one has to do with uh, being able to bypass uh, an IoT device that works with garage doors. Can you walk us through what's going on here? 
Yeah, absolutely. This is, um, we got interested in this product. The vendor is Chamberlain and the product is the MyQ garage door opener. And this is a fairly popular industry product. Uh, just like everything else in the IoT domain, it's used to give a homeowner uh, remote control automation over the internet from their smartphone to be able to open and close uh, their garage door, check notifications. What what got us kind of interested in the first place is that the service is uh, does allow for garage door delivery, so in garage delivery, meaning the package courier can actually use the MyQ app to do the same kinds of things the homeowner does, open and close the garage door and get notifications. So if you register for a delivery service uh, to, to get a package to your garage while you're away from home and, and they can actually, uh, of course, open and close the garage, we wondered if there was an interesting attack scenario there. So we did audit the device itself in some level of detail and didn't really find anything, at least not low-hanging fruit on the device itself, but we found a an interesting technique in the RF or radio frequency space that allowed us to kind of achieve the scenario we wanted to, which is to be able to gain access to the garage. And and that's what this entire article and, and corresponding video are about. Yeah. So uh, let's go through exactly how this works. Can you, can you give us a little bit of uh, an overview of how the technology that you, you uh, connect to your garage door system, how it's physically connected and how, how the user mm-hmm. is getting uh, alerts and so on and so forth? Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty simple and fairly straightforward setup. You have a, a physical sensor that is in your garage, and it's actually just attached to your garage door itself um, with some Velcro that ships with the product. So it's pretty easy to put on and take off. And the reason that it's attached to the garage door is that it actually sends out its state, whether the garage is open or closed, based on... Uh, whether it's in a vertical or horizontal orientation. In other words, when it's attached to your garage door and the garage door is open, obviously it's horizontal and it sends an open state. And when it's closed, it's vertical and it sends a closed state. Hmm. This is a little bit different than most systems, but certainly nothing you know insecure about that uh, concept itself. It transmits that open or closed state to a hub that's located anywhere in your home or even in your garage, the MyQ hub. And that hub, of course, is connected to your Wi-Fi, which uh, is the same way that you can use uh, your mobile phone and the the MyQ app to connect to the device. So essentially, those are the three components. You have the sensor, the hub, and the mobile application, which allows you to control the device over Wi-Fi. The hub will send and receive those uh, state commands to open or close the garage. And the sensor, of course, is what's responsible for uh, actually opening and closing it as well. Well, let's go through uh, the, the sort of uh, clever attack that you all came up with here, a way to circumvent this. Yeah, this is a very unique one for us. Typically, we're looking at software-based vulnerabilities. And the way this one is different is that we actually wanted to study the state sense for itself. And, and because it's just transmitting you know, this binary state, either open or closed, uh, to the hub, We wondered what would happen if we built a radio that could allow us to jam that state signal as it was transmitted from the sensor back to the hub in the home. And more so if we could not only jam that state signal, but uh, potentially even capture and replay it. And there's two pieces to this tack. We, We were able to successfully build a software-defined radio that allows us to jam the RF signals between the sensor and the hub. And what that does is it allows us to 
blocks the state signal from transmitting when the garage is actually closing. And the reason this is important is because if you consider the package delivery scenario, the garage, of course, has to close for the package courier to drive away. They're not going to leave the garage door open. Mm. But that's independent of the fact that the state is still trying to transmit closed. And if we can block that state of closed from reaching the hub, we can block it then from updating in the user's app. And ultimately, what you'll see in the proof of concept that we build is that by jamming that state, if the homeowner ch uh, logs into their MyQ app, what they'll see is an error. And that error will say, something went wrong, your garage didn't close. Well, as you know, we talked about the garage is independent of that state, so it really did close. And now the homeowner is left with some confusion, especially if they're not home and can't you know, line of sight see their garage door. The door is closed, the app is saying it's open. Now they go ahead and click close from the app. And of course, it's gonna do the inverse thing and open the garage door up for the attacker. So just as a as a full scenario, what we kind of envisioned is taking this small radio we built and, and we built a battery powered version of it as well, uh, putting it somewhere in the bushes or nearby the home, uh, waiting for a package delivery to come to someone who has the MyQ, jamming this signal during the closing of the garage, and then the, the homeowner actually opens the garage accidentally for the attacker to walk in. And, and often, as you know, that gives access to the home itself. Uh, the, the really interesting thing here and the novel part of this technique is that jamming signals and capturing and replaying signals has been happening for a long time. And the manufacturer actually built a stronger version of the product to deal with this exact kind of thing. Hmm. So they actually hop over three unique distinct frequencies in a very small range to try to avoid the ability to jam here. And we released a white paper that shows kind of what we believe is the first in industry technique for not just jamming across, across all three of these frequencies at the same time, but the jammer that we built actually only jams on demand, meaning it'll only jam as soon as it sees that, that closed state signal being sent back to the hub. And so it's very hard to find or finger, fingerprint this device because it's not very noisy, right? It's only, it's only working for a few seconds when it needs to. Uh, so that, that's kind of the, the power of the attack in general. It's very quiet, it's very, very specific, um, and it's very reliable. And then the second part that I referenced was we did test out and prove the capability to actually transmit back the state signal when we wanted to, that the true closed state signal. So we can kind of clean up after ourselves, if you will, and restore the correct state to the user. That's not really fundamentally important to the attack being successful, uh, but it is a really interesting and novel way that we could re replay that state signal. And I suppose part of this relies on the fact that your your typical garage door opener, you're just sending, uh, I guess, a, a trigger signal to either open or close the garage door. It's it, it's not sending, it's not signaling back and forth to say open the door or close the door. It's just signaling and saying if the you know change the the state. If it's open, close it. If it's closed, open. Exactly, Dave. No, you hit it on the head. That's exactly one of the weaknesses here is garage doors don't truly understand what open or closed means. They just send a signal that changes to the other state, right? And, and that's very typical. Uh, and really the, one of the flaws here, although it, it, it's very common and there's not really an easy fix for this, but just because that state is so, um, unintelligent, right? It, it only does the opposite. We can actually use that to uh, to confuse the user, as we talked about. So, yeah, that's exactly right. Now, would the user eventually, 
uh, get a signal that, that sends them the true state of things? Is it a matter that by that time it's just too late? There's a couple of ways that we can either correct this or, or leave it incorrect. Of course, for an attacker, if they, all they care about is getting access to the home or the garage door, the job is done and they don't necessarily have to care whether the user uh, finds out if it, was, if it was incorrect or correct. Hmm. Uh, the app will not correct itself unless we either transmit the state as I mentioned, by capturing and replaying it. Or what's much simpler is the attacker can actually just take that sensor off of the garage because it's on Velcro and just flip it vertical instead of being horizontal, right? And that'll actually then, if we're not jamming, that'll send the true closed state just like the garage was actually closed. So our video actually shows our attacker after they've gained access to the garage, just pulling that sensor off of the Velcro, placing it on the floor upright, and then the user's app will sync up and it'll look like everything did get closed correctly. So uh, this is kind of similar to the, the cleanup steps after you know, someone gets into your network or exploits some malware. They're trying to typically cover their, their tracks, and that would be a really easy way to do that. I suppose one of the, the lessons here is uh, that old story of defense in depth, that if you have something like this, maybe it's a good idea to have a some sort of uh, video monitoring system also, so you can take a look at what the true state is. It's almost like you read the blog or maybe my <laughs> mind or both, Dave. Um, yeah, that's, that's, very, that's very intuitive, and I think that makes a lot of sense. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised at all, uh, and there is actually an FCC filing from Chamberlain for a, uh, for a camera sensor, which I wouldn't be surprised to see them build into future versions of the app. Or homeowners could use another product as well to get actual visible line of sight. And in general, I think that's a, a, a great idea is to have, as you mentioned, defense in depth or more than one system to be able to physically or visually validate uh, what's going on there. Well, let's move on to the second video that you all posted that we're going to discuss today. This one is uh, fascinating. This is about uh, you're working with uh, an NFC ring device, so like a, a ring that you wear on your finger that has NFC capabilities. Uh, take mm -hmm. us through what you're doing here. Yeah, this is a ring developed by a company called McClear. Um, actually, John McClear was the original developer out of the UK, and now the company makes a number of rings, including payment rings and smart rings. They also still manufacture this ring, which is called the NFC ring, and it's the one that we targeted for research because it is advertised as being used to pair with smart home locks for uh, access control to your home. Hmm. So it's, it's very simple in the way that we typically use uh, NFC is for, you know, contactless payment, credit cards, et cetera. This one's a little different in that it is specifically used for uh, smart locks and home access, or at least that's one of the primary uses. Hmm. And that, of course, caught our attention is, hey, a, a cool piece of technology that, that you wear on your body that can, you know, get you access to your home. What could go wrong? <laughs> of course. <laughs> so we looked at the weaknesses in this ring, and, and fundamentally, this is just an insecure design. And what I mean by that is the ring itself has no form of encryption. Uh, it doesn't require any kind of authentication. So once you set it up and pair it to your smart home lock, whatever version that is, an attacker, if they can get access to this ring, can actually clone or steal all of the relevant information off of the ring that is paired to the home. And then they can just simply reprogram any kind of NFC, NFC device. Uh, in our proof of concept, we use just an NFC card, a readable, writable card, and we clone the ring onto that card and use it to unlock the home and basically give us a permanent key into, into somebody's house there or whatever they're trying to protect. 
all it takes is a small, unique ID. It's just a seven-byte unique ID that's stored on that ring unencrypted. And so long as we can get access to that to that ring, and I'll talk about how we do that in a minute, um, we can clone it easily and, and get access. Yeah, well, uh, the way that you, uh, the clever technique that you all have come up with to, uh, to f- I guess, fool the user into uh, to providing access to that ring, uh, share with us what you've done there. Well, there's two parts to every piece of research. One is the technical viability, and that's the unencrypted, unauthenticated, stored context of the ring. And then there's what would attackers do with this in a real world scenario and how would they actually compromise someone and as we thought about that we realized you know most people are going to have this ring on them it's going to be pretty far-fetched for us to find someone with this ring get access to it you know if they put it down somewhere so we wanted to think about how are we going to be able to clone that ring if it's on somebody's finger the technique that we developed was to create a app, a mobile app for uh, Android, just because it's easier to modify the code. And we just have this app run silently on the attacker's phone in the background. It's, it's constantly running. All it does is it leverages what comes on pretty much every smartphone, which is NFC reading, reading capabilities. And it re, it's just constantly scanning for NFC devices that come within proximity of it. And it will store off the NFC details if it can read them. And because everything's stored unencrypted, what that means is we just need to get this attacker's phone within about two, three, four centimeters of the NFC ring. And as you can imagine where I'm going with this, an easy way to do that is to is to social engineer someone. Walk up to them, hand them the phone and say, hey, would you mind taking a picture of me and my family? Um, you know, 99 out of 100 people are going to do that nowadays. And as long as we can get them to grab it with the hand the ring is on, which is fairly easy to do as well, we instantly can scan that NFC tag and, uh, and we're good to go. So the final proof of concept is basically we have this mobile app. We social engineer someone into uh, getting, it, getting the ring close to the app. We save the details off of it. And then at our own time, we go back and use a very simple NFC read writing device called a Proxmark to reprogram that, uh, that unique identifier I talked about onto an NFC card. And now all of a sudden we have access to the home. Now, is it typical for these sorts of NFC devices to be unencrypted? Is is that uh, something that's optional in that particular protocol? What, what, what's the situation there? It certainly can go either way. It uh, it kind of depends on what the device is built for. Of course, if you have something that's used for mobile payment or you know secure communications like that, it, it better be encrypted. And and most devices, I'd say, uh, most of the devices we've looked at that do that are encrypted and, and would make this attack. Uh, either impossible or, or at least a much different attack vector. You know, there's no need for NFC to protect the contents of what it's being used for unless it has a critical function. And I think it's pretty easy to argue that home access and access control certainly is a critical function, and this ring should have been developed with some kind of encryption or crypto module built into it. But, of course, it was not. So it may have been that this ring was built as a proof of concept and then later kind of added on for access control versus being built for it. But uh, it is still marketed by the clear as being used for, for access control along with a number of smart locks. So our recommendation to the vendor was that this should have certainly been built with some kind of uh, encryption at, at a very minimum. You know, McAfee and Advanced Threat Research follows responsible disclosure practices. So with both of these pieces of research and everything we do, uh, we reported this to the vendor as well before public disclosure. 
with McClear. We heard back just last week, actually, at CES for the first time, which was a little bit strange. With Chamberlain, we actually worked with them throughout the entire process, having them test and validate the findings. They actually released an update to the app just a few weeks ago, uh, which doesn't fundamentally fix the issue, but it at least warns users if that garage state is wasn't received appropriately, and it tells them, instructs them to go try to visually validate that the door was properly closed. So at least um, provide some context to to the homeowners where before there was none. So uh, neither of these represent what could be easily easily fixed, given that they are NFC and RF. Um, they're not just simple software patches. But the reason we talk about these and publicly disclose issues like this is for the future development of better and more secure products. And I think we've already seen some growth in these two areas alone. That's Steve Pavolny from McAfee. We'll have links to the research in the show notes. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their SASE journey, visit netskope.com. The CyberWire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Listeners, we're always looking for ways to improve the N2K CyberWire network and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity. We've launched our 2024 audience survey and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback. And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey and share your feedback now.